Welcome to episode 142 of Crack the Customer Code. Thanks to Audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Get your free audiobook and a 30-day free trial as a listener to this podcast by visiting audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and I'm here with my co-host and the guy who defies generational definitions, <laughs> Adam Toporek. I straddle all generations. <laughs> Well, I think it's it's really interesting that we're going to be talking about not only our generation, which I will admit is Gen X. Don't be uh, lump. Don't, first of all, don't be lumping me in, okay, <laughs> with with this whole Gen X thing. I, I think I think of myself more as like a millennial slash global. <laughs> all right. Well, globals are Generation Z, so I don't think you were born after the year two thousand. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, Jeannie. <laughs> well, then get back to school. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> get an education. But it, this was an absolutely awesome discussion. We're not going to do a lot of preamble because it was a longer one, and let me tell you, worth every single second. Yep, yep. We had such a great discussion with Anna Liotta about intergenerational communication and strategies and the differences and really how we can understand each other better, which I think is what this is all about. And I want to say to our listeners, you've heard us talk about some generational differences before and the millennials. Anna is a whole nother level of information and knowledge. I mean, she is just dropping wisdom bombs <laughs> all throughout. the. And truly, this is really, if you've heard it and you feel like you might have heard it before, trust me, this is, we learned so much just doing this interview. It was fascinating. Well, she's really a true expert. Uh, she's the founder of the Generational Institute, and she's the author of Unlocking Generational Codes. And so she's been studying this for a long time and just knows about everything. I mean, you can throw anything at her, and I think she would have an example. It was, it was pretty fascinating. So I think we should get right to it. Without so Adam- further ado, the infamous bio. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna Liotta, MACSP, is an award-winning speaker, business consultant, and author with a deep understanding of how generational demographics and dynamics can affect the landscape of business. Early in her consulting career, Anna noticed a common theme, a fundamental lack of understanding between different generations within an organization that hindered trust, alignment, and long-term success. Anna's clients range from consulting with the PGA of America to the NBA, from Amazon.com to Mayflower. Anna holds a master's degree in interpersonal communication and has more than 15 years of experience in the field of intergenerational inclusion, communication, and leadership. Welcome, Anna. So happy to have you. How are you today? Fabulous. It's sunny in Seattle. Oh, nice. Excellent. Well, we're so happy you're here with us and taking a few minutes out of the sunshine to be with us today. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. And I find this whole topic that you are such an expert in so incredibly fascinating. And this could be because you and I share uh, being in a somewhat big family. Mine's not quite as big as yours was, but I'm the youngest of five kids. So I certainly see some generational things just in the 11-year span that I, exactly. I <laughs> that's respectable. We talk, we call that a starter family. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let my parents know they still have work to do. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that you do so well is you really outline why understanding these generational codes 
is so important in today's workplace specifically. And so before we get any further in this discussion, can you kind of paint the picture of why today's workplace is so different compared to workplaces of the past? Absolutely. One of the things that's unique for today's workplace is that we, for the first time ever, have six generations alive and now five of them are colliding in the workplace. We need to collaborate, we need to compete, but all too often we collide. And when generations collide, you lose money you lose customers, you lose colleagues. And so what's really important for leaders today in the workplace to understand is that at every level, it's no longer that people in generations are separated by tenure. Now it's about talent. Who has the skill for the job is the leader. And so even though it previous years, generations might have more, you know, one or two working. They weren't always working side by side in the same way. And so we have to understand not only what makes each generation tick, but also what is it that we do that we think is a best practice? We think it's extraordinary customer service, but instead of making our customers tick, we're getting on their very last nerve and ticking them off and they're leaving us. Ooh. Uh, I know. Ooh. That's like, that's like a, really like that haunting music. Right? <laughs> and you know what's great and horrifying all at the same time is how complicated this all is because you've got these five generations interacting as teammates and within the company and you also have them interacting across the line of team and customer. So there are a lot of uh, spider webby little connections here we have to deal with. And part of how that you know, must manifest itself is obviously in culture. And in customer experience, we talk about how important culture is. And if it stinks and employees aren't happy, you're just not going to be able to deliver a great experience. So how do these organizations approach creating a great culture when they're dealing with you know, these multi-generational differences? That's such a good question. I, let me start out by giving our listeners just a quick snapshot of who the generations are when it comes to age, because they might be wondering what generation they're in. And it's surprising. A lot of folks, particularly Gen Xers, like to say, I'm not a Gen Xer, I'm just me. So let me just give you the dates of when generations begin and end of the four most active generations in the workplace. Our traditionalists were born between 1927 and 1945. And our baby boomers were born between 1946 and 64. Gen Xers, yes, I mean you, were born between <laughs> 1965 and 1977. And our millennials were born between 1978 and 1999. And now the newest generation entering the workplace is called the Globals. Sometimes you'll hear them called Gen Z because just like the millennials were called Gen Y for a while, that's the placeholder name. But now as they're in their fully formative experiences, they are being called the Globals. And they were born starting in 2000 all the way to today. So just so people kind of know where they land in the generations. Now the interesting thing about culture is that every generation is shaped by the formative experiences that happen ages of 8 to 18. So we don't really know it, but our brains start to make logic or have the capacity for logic about age 7. And so between the ages of 8 to 18, we're watching the world around us. We're absorbing the events, the people, the leaders, the icons, the experiences. And when there's an event and it's paired with an emotion, it creates an imprint. 
The deeper the emotion, the deeper the imprint. So when we want to understand culture in an organization, when we want to understand service in an organization and what to do for it, we have to understand each generation's formative experiences and imprints about culture. In fact, I'll give you an experience, like a really quick way to understand how important what I call the generational codes, those formative experiences are. Um, as we uh, joked at the top of the hour, I am from a large family. I am one of 19 children. So I am the youngest girl of 19 children. So this topic, actually, I kind of organically grew up inside <laughs> of figuring out the culture and surviving the generations. And um, there's a very beautiful romantic story that goes with it. But I will give you the cliff notes. My mom had her first 10 kids by the time she was 28 years old. She was Catholic. And she was widowed at 28 and set up on a blind date a couple years later by some priests. Married a lovely Sicilian bachelor who was uh, uh, 44, never married, blind dates, and sets them up and they get married. And uh, when she was 44, she found out she had pancreatic cancer. She'd had three children together with my father and then passed away very suddenly from cancer and told my father, that she didn't want him to go live alone for the rest of his life, that there was a perfectly wonderful widow right down the road, which was her best friend in the world, who became my bonus mom a couple years later. So she brought to us six kids, hence our 19. Now, the important thing is I learned so much from my parents' formative experiences and their generational codes. And a couple Christmases ago, my bonus mom and I were making a lasagna for one of our family dinners. Now, you can imagine in my family... There's like everybody has to contribute to dinner, right? Because there are 19 kids, their spouses, but they have 56 children now and their children already have 58 children. (laughs) So it's this huge, huge family. So we were making a lasagna to take off to the family dinner. We cover it in tinfoil, carry it to the potluck. At the end of the night, I'm now washing down the empty lasagna plate and I look over at my sweet bonus mom who's 90 years old. What do you think she's doing with the tin foil? <laughs> saving it. She's saving exactly. it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she's wiping down the tin foil. She's smoothing out the wrinkles. She's operating from her generational code. She can't help but take actions and have reactions that are based on those formative experiences. So now we come to the culture of an organization. And one of the things that is a generational culture point right now is the conversation around internal customers and external customers. It's really important that organizations understand in their culture, everybody is a customer, whether they are the person that works side by side with you or the person that buys from you. And this is really key because if you look at the formative experiences of our traditionalists, they were workers. They were laborers. You got on with the company. You, you know, worked hard. You kept your head down. You were loyal to the company and the company was loyal to you. But then our baby boomers came along. 80 million strong, the first time we'd had a positive birth rate since World War II, uh, since World, the Civil War. And the, everything was a competition between them. Getting into school was a competition. Getting jobs was a competition. And so they became employees who worked up the corporate ladder. And if you ask them what they do, they tell you who they do it for. I work for Boeing. I work for Microsoft. I've, out here in Seattle, those are companies we speak of. Amazon, Starbucks. Now, if you ask a Gen Xer, they actually think of themselves as free agents. 
their formative years were in the recession of the 80s when they saw their baby boomer parents who had bled company colors be let go without warning. They had worked 80-hour work weeks and came home one day with a pink slip being told you're being let go. So they know that they need to have a skill set. They get a gig, they work it as a free agent. But if something cataclysmic happens, if the dot-com goes dot-bomb, they have to pick up their skill set and move on. Our millennials think of themselves as talent. They have a gift. They have a thing they're passionate about. They were raised by their baby boomer parents being told, do what you love and the money will follow. Right? You are you. Adam starts laughing. Right? Exactly. And so they are loyal to themselves. And so they come into an organization and they are definitely an internal customer. So as we look at how we serve, we have to be serving each other. And then we also have to be serving the person that's purchasing products and services from us. But the interesting thing is the conversation of loyalty for Gen Xers as free agents, they knew that they had to work hard. But if something cataclysmic happened, they had to be able to move on. They were still loyal, but they were loyal with caution. Millennials are not loyal to institutions, organizations, products or brands unless they keep earning it engagement by engagement, purchase by purchase, because their formative experiences were all about being loyal to self. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, such an, it's such an amazing array. And I, I got to tell you, the tinfoil really resonated with me because mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 really, I like to pay attention to history. And it, it, to me, it's so fascinating to look at, I guess, what you'd call the traditionalist Tom Brokaw's greatest generation, that literally those formative years were in the Depression and then they went straight into the greatest war, you know, the world's ever known. And to have that worldview and to compare it and to contrast it with, you know, the generation whose greatest tragedy so far has been Pokemon <laughs> dots are not <laughs> readily available where they go. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't, and I don't mean to make light of it because every generation has its challenges. And that gap, fortunately, you don't have to bridge. But there is a, you know, you are having to bridge that gap between the baby boomers and the newer generations and obviously the Gen Xers, this is our time where we're starting to take over organizations and to become, you know, the, the sea level people. So how do you teach the older generations that, you know, since time immemorials always thought the next generation was softer and had it easier, how do you get them to, to have a good perspective, I think on the, on the younger generations and to understand how important the internal customer is? Well, the first thing is I point out what their self-interest is in understanding. We have to be honest. People only do things if they have a self-interest in it. So if they don't want to understand the internal customer, if they say my way or the highway, ship up or shape out, then they also have to be willing to now have a higher turnover of internal customers, talent, and that becomes a significant cost. So once they actually start to see the correlation between their choices of ship it up or shape out and the cost it is to have a six-month, two-month, 12-month churn, they get much more interested in making some adjustments. Right now, on average, our millennials stay with an organization between six to 18 months, 18 being a long run. So if they come to work and they say, hmm, I don't think people like me here. I don't think they get how unique, special snowflake I am. You know, mom and dad said, there's no two like you. And if they don't feel um, received in the workplace, 
they have absolutely no problem picking up their skill set, their talent, and finding a new gig. Well, and I think that goes with some of the I quit videos that some of them have made and posted (laughs) on YouTube and things like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't burn those bridges. (laughs) That's right. And see, for them, it's really, you've got, you've said such a red thing. For them, they don't worry about burning bridges. They are the first generation to enter the workplace with absolutely no expectation of retiring with the company that they started with or are currently working with. So they aren't building social capital in the same way. They don't think I've got to, you know, bear down and get through this. I got to grind it out. They will say life's too short to live like this. So they are happy because at their millennial generational code DNA level, their mantra is I've got options. This is just one option. You are just one place I could work, just one place I could buy from. And one of their options is always to go live with mom and dad because this is our first generation to be BFFs with their parents. Boomers (laughs) had the worst relationship of generations ever. And so millennials are their, you know, helicopter kids. And so they're like, yeah, I'll just boomerang back home and live in mom and dad's basement. They kind of miss me anyway. (laughs) It is very different. That was kind of... That was a no-no. You know, once you oh, once you left, you were supposed mortifying. to. Mortifying. Yes. A Gen X for having to go home was in shame. Now, I have to tell you, my dad was GI generation. He was even before the traditionalists. And my high school graduation present was luggage. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the door hit you. That's right? fantastic. <laughs> exactly. It was like, I raised you. You're 18. You're legal. You're out. And I was a good kid. <laughs> Well, with 19, it sort of had to be that way, right? <laughs> really, just, exactly. just, it really was. We, we were allowed to come home exactly once when we <laughs> during college. You could spend one summer at home, and that was it. Other oh, than that, wow. figure it out. Wow. And I th- I'm sure some millennials are listening to this thinking, I can't imagine. You know, I text my mom 15 times a day. And yeah, that, so right. on average, it's between um, eight to 15 times a day that millennials are in text communication with their parents. It's a very wow. close relationship. And, you know, to the customer experience, they actually compare notes about purchases and customer experiences back and forth. Millennials have an incredible impact on the wallet share of their boomer parents and vice versa. The boomers actually, you know, call the millennials and influence their decision making. So the helicopter parenting has gone through their formative years right into their work years and their purchasing years. It's Wow. So I'm sorry. Can you, I was just going to say, can you say a little bit more about that? Like what are they learning as far as those influences? Are there certain categories or verticals that are more affected by that? Like, I don't know. I can imagine millennials. Technology is one of the verticals that is absolutely affected by the millennials influence on the baby boomers. Um, They call their, you know, they've been the IT director for their family since they could touch (laughs) technology, right? So boomers, before they make any kind of IT, whether it's a screen or a computer or a phone or, you know, anything digital, they're talking to the millennial. And on the vice versa, when it comes to career decisions before a millennial 
takes a job when they're, you know, in the interview process, when they're negotiating benefits, they're calling their baby boomer parent and saying, what would you do? And they're getting coaching from, you know, an MBA. And so you're thinking, wait, how do they know to ask that question? Well, they've got a coach called mom and dad. So they influence each other back and forth like that. But it's also really interesting because the baby boomers are becoming more savvy consumers because the millennials are teaching them how to research their options. So why the boomers grew up with limited option in their formative years, now the millennials are saying, no, 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 just a second, let me Google that. And then they show them how to actually advocate for themselves. It's amazing. It, it, tr- it truly, yeah, I've got a f- friend who's got college age kids and he's texting with them and the kids at a fraternity party. I just can't imagine being at a college party when we were <laughs> in college. Like, And what I wanted to do was call my parents. It's, right. just, it's, 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 it's alien to me, but I have a, yep. I have a question. I, I, I actually oh, have ahead. to tell you an even weirder one with that. And we were all just together at the National Speakers Association's uh, summer conference. And um, one of the boomers, I will not share his name, was at a fraternity party with his daughter. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I, was, I was standing there listening to this and I thought, Okay, that's officially too close. <laughs> <laughs> the world, the world is just tilted on its axis. Right. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's too much when you party with your daughter oh at gosh. a fraternity party. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's a new world. Well, so here's a question I have. That's it's very. I love this whole generational code thing, and it, you can really see it. I love how you break it down. How does the life cycle affect the code? Meaning, so we all have our generational code. If you went through the '60s or the '80s or the 2000s. But we also have the life cycle. What We're in our 20s, we're in our 30s, we're in our 40s. And granted, some of that's moved down the road a little bit. But the life cycle's, you know, generationally pretty much the same. You're single, then you have kids, and you move to the suburbs, whatever. How does that affect the code? What becomes a stronger influence as you age? Your sort of place in the life cycle or your generational code that you formed when you were, you know, young? I have to say it's a both and. Let me give you an example. If you look at it very simply, and this is, a, I know it's a very simplification, there's really four stages we go through childhood, zero to 21, when the world's taking care of us, our housing, our education, our food, our clothing is being covered by our community at large. Then there's young adulthood. This is 21 to 42. This is when we're moving into the workplace, we're earning our own money, we're making more of our purchasing decisions, we're deciding what we're great at, what we're passionate about, and what we want to, where we want to spend our disposable income. Then there's midlife or prime. That's 42 to 64. This is when you're running institutions and organizations. You're holding the budget strings. You're buying from the vendors. You're choosing who's going to be your suppliers. And then there's elderhood. And I know boomers hate that term. (laughs) Boomers are the never. Yeah, it's like never trust anyone over 30 was their (laughs) mantra. And so in their minds and their hearts, they're about 29. So these words that sound super old, like elderhood and senior citizen, just make them want to just, right? And they certainly hate the other R word, the dirtiest word in the human language, retire. But... (laughs) 
64 to 84. This is when you're giving back. You're, you're, you're sharing your wisdom. You're being a mentor. Now, the key thing is we've been in a big shift stage where each generation was straddling one life stage to the next. Our millennials were hovering between childhood and young adulthood. Gen Xers were between young adulthood and prime. And, and boomers, well, boomers were holding on to prime. They're, they're not going to the next one. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so what we see is how each generation enters that life stage age has been a little different. So for instance, our millennials have held on to childhood longer and longer and longer, such that we actually are calling young adulthood kind of starting at 26 for a lot of people. And why we can say that is because at 26 years old, 40% of millennials still report receiving significant financial contributions from mom and dad, which means they're still on mom and dad's cell phone plan. They still are on their insurance, both medical and car, and they still might even be getting rent assistance or car payment assistance at that time. So that tightens that customer relationship between boomers and millennials and requires you know, co- the, uh, companies to understand how close they are and intimate. Even more interestingly, Gen Xers have been straddling young adult and prime. They are fully in prime now where Gen Xers are calling the budget shots. And most people don't actually understand how to serve the Gen Xer consumer. They have been targeting the baby boomer, massive 80 million, but there's only 44 million Gen Xers ever born in the U.S. And so people kind of tend to overlook them. But what they need to understand is as they enter this prime time and they're running them, Gen Xers are all about cut to the chase, get to the bottom line. So they don't want to spend a bunch of time schmoozing with people and, you know, talking about their vacation and their golf game and all of these things that they did in order to, you know, work with baby boomer customers. But if they're the one holding the budget string, they want you to cut to the chase and give them value before you get to ask them about their life and their kids. Personal is something you earn, not something you lead with to develop relationship. So people get really confused about how to take care of Gen Xers. And then for millennials, it's all about me. It's all about how, you know, my experiences, my life, my uh, dreams. I mean, just look at the selfie phenomenon we're in, right? This is the most photographed generation ever. And, you know, you could almost say, if you didn't take a selfie, were you really there? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, and I know Gen X is such an interesting little group because to your point, there were so many more baby boomers. There will be so many more millennials. One of my friends was, who's in the uh, senior care <laughs> profession was saying like, we're building all these huge places for boomers right now that are going to sit there empty for a generation before millennials come along. So it's, it's, it brings up lots of questions when the generations are kind of alternating like this. So I think, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you're so on point. I do a lot of speaking across industries, but you've just touched on one that's really um, big that I speak in a lot is the elder care and memory care um, organizations, as well as where are the baby boomers going to live? Because they think that baby boomers are going to enter elderhood like traditionalists and, and uh, GI generations did, where they want to go to a destination, but they don't. Well, baby boomers are actually not moving to the sun. They're moving to be by 
their grandbabies. Mm -hmm. They are saying, I want to spend time with my grandbabies. They keep me young. My health is still good. And so things like building all these elder care facilities becomes a challenge because boomers don't like those age words. And so if you brand something with age as part of the distinction, you absolutely repel the boomer consumer. So now that's why you have, you know, adult living. They've been trying to find (laughs) these language words that don't sound like old people's home, right? And And what we really are going to see that the um, challenge with is the memory care. That's where we are seeing a huge challenge, particularly for our traditionalists and GI generation, because they are living longer. And so we have more dementia and more Alzheimer's and all of these different things. And that's where it will become a struggle struggle because boomers identity says, I don't want to go live there. And yet their um, physical needs will require it. That's really interesting. And I know, so my dad is one of the listeners of this podcast. And Hi, Dad. Be gonna, nice, Jeannie. Be nice. I, know, I love dads. I'm a total daddy's girl. Careful. So. <laughs> me too, me too. So he definitely is part of the traditionalist, but your description, I feel like he behaves more like a boomer. Like he, uh, it was very important to him when, when my mom and he moved into a, a place a couple years ago, he was like, screaming about how slow the Wi-Fi was, like he loves to be connected and he still has his bike and he had a red convertible. And I think he kind of liked that identity there. Um, And so I think it's interesting because as much as we, and I know you, you believe this too, as much as we try to put everybody into these groups, there's always these outliers. There are always people who are individually a little different or you know, Gen Xers who share a lot versus those who don't and everything else. So it's it's totally complex and fascinating. And I love the way that you put it all together for us so that we can really understand each other more because that's really what yeah. this is all about. It yeah. really is. This is not about one generation being right and another being wrong. When we want to understand the values, the attitudes, the beliefs, the motivators that are all put, pulled together by the code of the generation, we really do it as a seeking to understand, not as a seeking to be like, all right, who's got it all screwed up? Who's got it all you know, <laughs> wrong? And it's really interesting because, you know, you said the the car, the car industry is a great great example of how you have to look at the different generational relationships. If you look at what's happening right now with our seniors, traditionalists and um, GI generation going into adult living, they struggle to give up the freedom of the car. Yes, there's a bit of an identity piece around it. You know, I've got the red convertible or that kind of thing, but it's really the freedom that the car represented. But our baby boomers, the car became an entirely different representation. It became a status symbol and they turned their car over every two to three years. And so the car industry made cars at an incredible rate because they were keeping up with not only 80 million boomers, but also the fact that they could count on them churning the car and moving up status-wise. Gen Xers come along and they don't use their car as a status symbol. So not only were there less of them, but they don't change their car every three years. And so many things went wrong for the auto industry, but one is that they did not recognize the generational shift in both code and attitude as well is in numbers. So they kept churning out those numbers. Now behind the Gen Xers come the millennials who again do not have the car as the status. I mean, having a Prius in Seattle is status of a different kind. <laughs> <laughs> but they they use Uber 
and they use Lyft and they use all these, you know, sharing apps and they look at the sharing economy differently. And and many companies are like, oh, yeah, but when they grow up, they're going to want, you know, when they have kids, they're going to want um, their own car. And the millennial the other day said, by the time I have kids, I'm sure Uber will have figured it out. So their entire <laughs> code is different about how they engage with the car. So that's just a metaphor for kind of like, we actually aren't going to go backwards to how we did it before. We're constantly disrupting how we do this. And the generational codes kind of give us an example of, ah, it's not personal. It's Mm -hmm. generational. That's Mm -hmm. one of my generationally savvy mantras. It's not personal. This is generational. <laughs> and when nice. you can step back and see the generational aspect, now you have power in the matter as you serve your customers. Oh, that's that's such a brilliant way to wrap it up. I love that. I'm glad we tied it back to the customers. I could talk about this literally all day, Anna. I know. I'm it's not, really fascinating. I, I love it. You know, it's interesting because there's. A, I'm sure you're familiar. There's a saying in politics that demographics are destiny. That's and, right. And I, you know, I think hearing you explain the breakdown and the differences, and I'm learning things about my own Generation X, I'm like, wow, I didn't know I was so typical. I thought I was an outlier. You yeah. know, and that, just the fact that you say that is part of being Gen X. Every Gen Xer <laughs> doesn't think they're part of it because that's part of the generational code of Gen Xers is I'm not like others. I'm just me. I'm so, I'm just, pre- I'm so predictable. <laughs> You're a special <laughs> snowflake, Adam. Oh, good. That, 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 now, you know I don't believe that. Gen Xers always say to me afterwards, I'm a little freaked out because (laughs) I feel like you just walked through my psyche. Have you been stalking me? Because I was pretty sure I was the only one like this. But, you know, you said something important too, Adam, the politics that we're going through right now. You know, if you do not understand the generations, the youngest generation of voters in particular, you will definitely be left in the cold. They are making, you know, not only are they all eligible to vote, but they aren't being pressured by the same things that prior generations. All you had to do is look at the conventions, the authoritarian model of, hey, you get into this august arena and you start to behave a certain way because of authority pressure doesn't relate to the millennials. They were not raised to fear authority. So they came in and they still were upset and they still booed and they did all of those things and they couldn't be controlled in the way that people had been in the past because they don't have that relationship to authority of fear. Boomers wanted them to, you know, feel confident, know that they had a voice. And so going forward, politics will be one of the hottest spots to see the generational collisions. There are all the kids that were allowed to run around the restaurant and their parents threatened them but never back- backed it up, That's right? That's right. <laughs> and when they started using a phone and texting at the table, their parents are like, don't text to the table. Ah, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the energy. Oh, God. This has been so wonderful, Anna. So if please let our listeners know where they can find you and find out more about all the wonderful work you are doing. Oh, fabulous. Yes, they can always find me at analayata.com. I'll spell that for you. A-N-N-A. L-I-O-T-T-A dot com or the Generational Institute. That's my online on-demand e-learning that goes through leading, selling, and customer service with the generations. That is fantastic. And I'm sure there's so much good stuff there. So that's a great resource as well. And at another time, I'll have to uh, 
bend your ear about my 12 and eight year old boys and figure out these globals because they're coming. <laughs> What's happening with the globals? It's a whole new world. Yes, it is indeed. It is indeed. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We'll put all of your information in the show notes for our listeners. And I'm sure that uh, everybody got a lot out of this. I know I did. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Anna. My pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed episode 142 of Crack the Customer Code with special thanks to Audible.com. Don't forget to sign up for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. And we continue to love your ratings and reviews on iTunes. I'm Jeannie Walters. Stay current on the latest customer experience, trends, and insights, and see my TEDx talk at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapport. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training, as well as my perspective as a millennial at <laughs> customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.